Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and your love in our life. And God, we thank you for these moments that we have together, worshipping you, learning more about you. God, just gathering together, celebrating the joy of Christmas. And God, we pray that you would meet with us right now where we are. You would speak to our hearts, encourage us, help us to see more of you. God, we love you so much. And we're surrendered to you this morning. We pray that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, grab a seat. Good morning. You never know what's coming next year, do you? You weren't expecting that. Fantastic. Good morning, Locksport. Good morning, Yaram. Great to have you with us. Hey, we're up to December already. So that means some people have just put their Christmas tree up in the last few days. Hands up. Give us a wave if you've just put your Christmas tree up. Hands up if you don't have a Christmas tree up yet. Your anti-Christmas trees. Yep. Waiting for it to grow still. No judgment here. Um, we had our Christmas tree up uh, just about the start of November. It probably would stay up all year if it wasn't for me. Uh, the kids and my wife love, and we've started putting Christmas lights on the front of our house, and I fear where this, the trajectory is going over the next coming years, but pray for me. Um, when I'm on that roof one year, putting the Christmas lights up. Anyway, uh, it's good fun, isn't it, Christmas? And we're going to be looking at the Christmas story for the next few weeks, just um, reminding ourselves of, of, of what it's about, uh, maybe hopefully looking at some, some new angles of it and new aspects of it, uh, maybe some old ones as well. Uh, but like Lauren mentioned, next week, SBC, Yarram and Locksport are meeting, and that's because on the third Sunday of this month, which is the 18th, everyone say 18th, 18th, two weeks' time, we are having our carols on the lawn, and that's our service for the day. So instead of meeting here at 10 a.m., we're meeting there, and we're inviting as many people as we can to come and celebrate and hear the gospel together. So make sure you're here at 6 o'clock, 4 o'clock for activities, in the morning if you want to help set up and get ready. Um, So if you turn up at 10 a.m. and you're thinking, oh, we're not in here, we'll be There'll be people setting up, doing things, uh, so make sure you sign up and help on the day because we're, we're believing that um, hundreds of people will come from our community, uh, that people from Locksport and Yarram will join us here in Sale as well, and we'll have a great time celebrating Christmas together, singing carols, um, and having a good chance of just sharing the gospel with those that come along, so um, make sure you grab the invites and, and get as many people here as you can, um, and help on the day as well if you can. Fantastic. And then obviously Christmas Day is a Sunday as well, 25th, in case you're wondering when Christmas is, uh, and we meet at 9.30, just again to keep you guessing, 9.30, it's confusing, 10am, 10am, 6pm, 9.30 uh, through December, um, so make sure you're here on Christmas Day, 9.30, and no Yarram or Locksport on Christmas Day, just online and in the room here in Sale. Cool. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at some of this Christmas story. We're going to be reading from verses 18 to 25. 18 to 25, look at that, it's on the screen already. It says this, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered that, discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. 
But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, just pause for a second. Uh, when it says her husband in verse 19, it sort of means that was the engagement period. Um, just a translation, different sort of culture. Anyway, just in case you're confused about this verse. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the, Lord angels, as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. Lord God, we are so thankful for this story. And God, we are so thankful for this event that took place some 2,000 years ago, where Jesus came to be one of us, to save us, to take our place, and to redeem us into relationship with you. And God, we pray that we might know uh, this truth more so than ever before this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who got up at six o'clock this morning to watch the um, Socceroos? A few people. Who has no idea that there was a game on at six o'clock this morning? Okay, that's why soccer's not much good in our country. Football. Okay, sorry. Hands up if you got six o'clock for football this morning. The cats weren't playing, so I didn't, but no, no. It was um, against Argentina, and uh, we didn't win. Um, I know, it's sad. But would you say it was close? I mean, it was two to one. So, I mean, we were one point away from not losing for a few, for a few more minutes anyway. Um, you know, I find the whole game of soccer is football, whatever you want to call it, um, it's a beautiful game, it's a simple game. Um, it's interesting because some of the games, there's no scores. It's just like they run around for two hours and then at the end it's like zero to zero. <laughs> they may as well just have not played because uh, nothing happened. And sometimes there's lots of goals and it can be amazing that a team as good as Argentina and a team like Australia who's not very well regarded or ranked throughout the world, can have a game where there's just one point difference. And was it a close game? Well, some would say yes, some would say, well, probably not. Australia were lucky when they got their one goal. Um, sort of, it wasn't going to go in until it was deflected by the Argentina guy and did go in. Um, but what does it mean to be close? What does it mean to have a, a close game in football, uh, in AFL, um, a close game might be within six points in soccer. Within six points, that is not close. That is as sort of that's as blown out as it sort of gets uh, at that stage. Uh, in golf, a close game is one. Um, it sort of depends on the scores, and it's, it depends on the skill level and and so many different aspects. And I think when we come to this Christmas story and we see this idea that God is with us, or God is near us, or God is close to us, sometimes we can go, well, how close? How close is he? I mean, really, how close is he? What does it mean to be close? And have you ever heard this saying amongst um, Christians, churches? I've said it before. Um, and maybe we'll look at maybe why it's not helpful, but this saying is, you're as close 
to God today as you choose to be. You're as close to God today as you choose to be. And that's, I mean, on the face of that, that, that statement, I'm not sure if we've got those slides up, um, that is, it's a confronting statement because it, it puts the um, onus on us to, to be proactive in our relationship, which is, it's a, it's a good thing, it's a good thing. But I think it's probably better to say God is as close to you today as he chooses to be. God is as close today as he chooses to be. Because in reality, if, if God didn't choose to come down and be God with us, it doesn't matter how much we choose to be close to him, uh, we have no hope of getting to him. We have no ability to get close to him. It's only his ability to bring us close to him and take us close to him. And when we see this Christmas story, it's a reminder that we couldn't get close to him, so he got close to us. That we had no chance of getting to him, uh, so he came down to us. When Matthew was writing this um, this story, when he was um, sort of telling his audience of what had happened, remember we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew is a Jew, writing to a Jewish audience. He's, maybe I didn't say that enough through my series, that's okay, um, I'll give you a pass on that one, but he was, a, he was writing to a Jewish audience, and so of all religions and of all people, the idea that God would come close is sort of, uh, it's probably the hardest group of people to convince that God is in a person, let alone in a baby. Through the Old Testament, this is some of the ideas that, um, that the Jews had. If you look in Isaiah 7, verse 14, this is the passage that um, the Jews had been holding on to. The Lord himself will give you a sign, see the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. That's the the quote that Matthew uses in, in chapter 1 there, in verse 23. And so this Jewish audience of Matthew, the last people on earth to think that God was with us. Eastern religions, they probably have no problem thinking that the divine could be in a person. Greek mythology, no worries. But Jews, when they hear God with us, or God is going to be with us, or this idea of Emmanuel, their imagination is not going to a, a, a fully human, fully God sort of being. Their idea is going to something like they've experienced already in the Old Testament. Maybe a king, maybe a prophet, maybe some good ruler, maybe some really good teacher, but God inside a man, probably not. They were looking for someone to be powerful, to take on the Roman Empire, to act on God's behalf, not to be God. And the view of God from the Old Testament shapes or gives the context for this ridiculousness of this first Christmas, that God is born as a human in a baby. I mean, if we just look at some of the images, even in Isaiah, um, in chapter 40, um, Isaiah writes, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on the scales? Whenever I read this verse, I hold out my hand and I think, how much water, just hold out your hand for a second, how much water could you hold in the palm of your hand? How much? Maybe five mil, ten mils? Not much. I mean, you have to keep it really still. God's holding the waters of the earth in his hands and he's trying to, Isaiah's trying to paint this picture, and, and, and rightly so, of the magnificence, the brilliance, the majesty of God. 
or the universe, which as far as science can tell so far, is always expanding. It's never-ending. God measures somehow a never-ending infinite space with, a, with his hand. And his size and his magnitude are never-ending, unmeasurable. Further on in Isaiah, verse 66, it says, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house to me? And where would my resting place be? Again, if you were really to take these literally and try to work out the, his hand being the size of the universe and then somehow he's putting, putting his feet on earth, it doesn't really work, but it, it's, it's, it's supposed to invoke our imagination to help us see how big God is, how powerful God is, that he is not some just giant human or big statue that they had seen other religions worship, but he was outside of his creation. He was outside of his, um, of, of what we could see, so much bigger. In Genesis 1, when God creates all of the earth, all of the universe, he creates it with his word. Life literally comes into existence. Beating hearts, breathing lungs, oxygen to sustain it, gravity to keep it all together, the complexity and incredible finesse is unmatched. And this God, this big, powerful creator God, is the God that Isaiah was referring to, both in chapter 7, when he says God is going to be with us, and in chapter 40, and in chapter 66, and throughout so many more verses as well. This same God, who's measuring the universe with his hand, and holding the waters in the hollow of his hand, He's going to be with us. And so you can imagine when this happens in Matthew chapter 1, the absolute absurd nature that somehow that God could be confined to a newborn baby. How how does that happen? How could that possibly happen? The the God who measures the waters in his hands, the same God who comes to be with us, the same God, Emmanuel. And we can only begin to understand this God, God with us. We could spend weeks, years, just exploring in the Old Testament who this God really is, the great I Am. And Matthew says he is God with us. And that idea with is really about relationship. It's this idea that he is incarnated, is the theological term. The incarnation of Jesus, that incarnate comes from the the word carnivore, which means meat, literally means God with flesh on. God in the flesh. God becoming meat, if you like. Not in a sacrilegious way. And so Matthew 1, 18 to 25, tells this story of this incredible incarnation. Mary, a teenager probably at the time, maybe 14 to 16 years old, a lot of scholars would say, a virgin engaged to be married, looking forward to being married, and she's engaged to Joseph. Joseph loves God, serves God. Mary loves God and serves God. And her being a virgin is part of the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, Jesus was born in Bethlehem um, 
to Mary, who was a virgin before 70 AD. These are all parts of, you can look it up, we don't have time to go into it, but all part of this, the incredible prophecy that is, is portrayed in, through Isaiah that gives us reasons to believe that this was a divine birth, that this was a miraculous birth. And then this baby is born, a fragile, vulnerable, needy, helpless human being. Jesus was here. God had become man. Bethlehem was not his origin. It was just his incarnation. Jesus was pre-existing from, eternal, um, from eternity gone. Philippians 2 puts it this way. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The amazing thing of God with us, Emmanuel, the Christmas story is that God did not stay all high and mighty, but he came in human form. He experienced life, he experienced pain, temptation, the same and even worse than what we have ever faced. And it's hard for us to really comprehend because we don't have an equivalent to, to compare it to. Um, some might say, well, imagine yourself becoming an ant to save ants to sacrifice your life for ants and, and bear pain for ants. It's, it, it, I mean, even that's not really close to, to what, we're, what God has done for us. But it helps us think of the absurdity of what is going on here. That the Christmas story is out of this world, like the, the display of love and grace that it offers us should blow our minds, should draw us in, to relationship with him like nothing else. Some of us, when we think of that analogy of maybe us becoming an ant, we, that's what our view of ourselves is. We think, well, I'm just an ant. Like, there's, I'm no good. I'm worthless. I'm useless. Sin has maybe overtaken our lives. Pain is dominating our feelings. Life is tough. It seems low. It seems empty, helpless, and hopeless. And the message this morning and the message of Christmas is that Jesus knows all of that and more. And he came low so that you might have a relationship with him and you might know him and he might know you. Ephesians 4, 7 to 9 says this, Grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. There's much debate about this verse, about whether that means Jesus went into hell in the, the days that he died. I don't want to get into that debate this morning. I only just say that Jesus went low, like what Philippians 2 says, so that we might know him, so that he might know us. He might experience life like we've experienced it doesn't matter how low you are, God is still there. God has gone lower. He knows the pain. He knows the temptation. He's experienced all of it. He's experienced it worse than you will ever experience it. And he doesn't miss a thing. In Hebrews 4, 
verses 14 to 16, it says this, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus didn't think too much of himself. He took on everything that you take on. He is not too big or too old or too smart or too lofty to know your reality. He is not out of touch to help you. He wants to give you help to show you grace. He's not just sitting up in heaven all high and mighty with his feet perched on Mount Everest. He knows what it is to be human, to grow up, to struggle with relationships, to struggle with family, to experience death, separation, betrayal. You name it, he has faced it. And he didn't deserve any of it. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we did the cross, the, the bridge illustration. Oh, gosh, that's a tight lid. Do you remember this? Who was here two weeks ago? All right, you can help me do it then. So if we're here, this is us. Then we got, who's on this side? Argentina. No, God. Just checking you're listening. New Zealand. And no matter what we do, we can't bridge the gap. And we used this illustration last time to talk about the idea of judging others. That, that when we judge others, effectively what we're doing is we're going onto this side, looking back at sinners and saying, ha, huh, look, you're terrible. The Christmas story is not just about Jesus bridging the gap on the cross, but it's about Jesus coming across to our side first to experience what it's like to be separated from God and then to lead us across, on the cross and take our place to, to save us from sin and death, separation. Jesus doesn't just bridge the gap, but he comes across to our side first to lead us across. You see, we have no hope of getting to him. Without him coming across, we wouldn't even see the cross. We wouldn't even know the way to go. And so he comes across God with us. Not us with God. It's not we're as close to God as we want to be. We're as close to God as he chooses. You know, probably my favorite scripture in the whole Bible, if you also have a favorite, favorite verse, this is it. Ephesians 2 verse 13. It says, now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You can't say you're as close to God as you choose to be. Because if that is true, none of us have any hope. We have none. But God saw our need and in his grace he comes to us, Emmanuel. And not in some impersonal way but as a vulnerable baby. And so what does it mean to be close to God? What does it mean to have God with us, to be near God? Does it mean 
just this, singing a couple of songs on a Sunday, listening to some guy try to explain it to us. Is that it? Is that, are we close? I've put down three things that I think, and, you, and you're like, oh my gosh, he's just getting to his three points now. I'm on my last page, don't worry. Three things it means to be in proximity or near God. First one is this, there are no secrets. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden. And still through complete transparency and authenticity, authenticity, acceptance is there. You think about the people that you are closest to. The people that you are closest to are the ones you have the least amount of walls up, filters in, secrets to hold. There is just authenticity. There is an openness in your relationship. God is okay with your complete vulnerability. And he was completely vulnerable for you. He came as a newborn baby, as vulnerable as it comes. No defense mechanisms, nothing to make himself appear stronger than he was. Christmas is a time to remember his vulnerability so that you can be vulnerable before him. You through it. The second thing it means is that there is no shame. Again, a newborn baby has no shame. Naked, dressed, it doesn't matter. My kids, yesterday in the backyard, no shame. Absolutely no shame. Maybe they should have it a little bit. No shame at all. They don't feel any different. They don't know any different. There is no shame before God when we are close to him. He sees you completely vulnerable and there is no shame, no weirdness, nothing he hasn't seen or encountered before. He is unshockable. He comes anyway. He sees you as you are, and instead of putting shame on you, he comes close to you and leads you to a new way. And the third thing that there is in proximity to someone or closeness is there is joy. Closeness or proximity in its purest form is full of joy. No barriers, no secrets, and no shame lead to complete joy. Joy is, I think, founded when we come to the reality that we are known and we are loved by God. When you are known by somebody and loved by them at the same time, completely known and completely loved, there is something that just fills your heart with joy in that moment. Because you don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend. No barriers, no secrets, no shame lead to complete joy. There is no performance required. There is joy just in being known, loved, and knowing and loving. God finds joy in knowing you. And you find joy in knowing him and being known by him. It's really something when someone knows you. You know, when you've, you meet different people and you're like, we just get each other. We just know each other. It's like you can finish each other's sentences or whatever it is. Someone who just knows you. The good and the bad and they still love you. Even though they've seen your bad moments. God does that completely unfailingly. (coughs) 
See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. As the band comes back up, and we're going to sing a couple more songs and just worship and remember the joy of Christmas. It's a time to remember that you couldn't get close to God, so he came close to you. He came across the divide, and he takes you back, if you follow him across, to nearness, to closeness, proximity with God himself. God is as close to you today as he chooses to be, and he chose to come as close as it gets. He chose to come near you, not because you did something great for him, but because he loves you, just where you are. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, leading into this Christmas season, I want to remind you that God loves you. He sees you as you are. He sees all that you've done, all that you've thought, every part, that you've, even the parts you've never told someone else. He's seen it all. He knows it. And he still loves you. He still chooses to come as the almighty God, as a vulnerable newborn, to take your place and to lead you across. And so don't for one moment think that I'm not good enough. God doesn't want to come close to me. He doesn't. You don't know me, Brad. You're right, I don't. He does. And he still loves you. So can we stand where we are in Locksport and Yarram as well? God's invitation is there for you this morning to come and be with him, to follow him across, to take your place in relationship with him. Lord Jesus, this morning we come before you completely surrendered. And God, we thank you that you are a loving God, you not just love us, you have the power to do something about it. And God, you chose to, to humble yourself, to come for us and to lead us back into relationship with you, to redeem us. And God, of all the things we think about, talk about, remember this season, God, I pray that that's the number one thing, that we have relationship with you that you give us the most incredible gift. And you didn't have to. But God, you chose to because you love us. And God, that as we encounter that grace again this Christmas, God, that we might share it with those around us. That we might be a light in the darkest, darkest places, God. And God, for anyone here this morning, anyone in Locksport or Yarram or online this morning who feels like they're completely separate from you, who's forgotten that you came across the gap, that you bridged the divide. God, I pray that for those people, that we might surrender again our lives and walk with you, follow you, that we can be completely vulnerable before you and you love us and you change us. So God, we worship you this morning. We sing these next songs from a grateful heart, knowing that you hear them, you respond to them, and you fill us with your joy.
God, we love and we thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.